in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my sharp dress co host, Patrick Pister. Patrick, what episode is this? This is episode number 47. After that sharp dress, I feel like I need to pop my collar. <laughs> <laughs> And we also have Paige Wilson, host of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders. How are you doing today, hey Paige? Hey, guys. I'm great. Hey, hey Paige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing a little bit something different, aren't we, Patrick? We are. We have, well, other than Paige, we have no expert guest on here. We're doing our mailbag uh, episode. Yeah. So if you'd like to ask Patrick and I a question, it's pretty easy. Go to oilandgashsd.com, quick, click ask a question, submit it. And then probably once a month or so, we're going to do a mailbag session like this one. So let's uh, go ahead and jump right into it. So Patrick, I'm going to read this one because this like it looks up uh, something you'd probably be really good at answering. Great show, guys. So keep up the great work. A lot of great stuff in there. <laughs> My question is, how do we as an industry define how organizations can say they have controlled risk adequately? This is from uh, R. Megan. So is this going to be a half hour podcast or a three hour podcast? Because <laughs> we could really dive into this. It, it's actually a really good question and something I think a lot of oil and gas companies struggle with. There are any number of programs from your you know, multi-point check before you do a job, your JSAs, your procedures, PM systems to make sure everything's in place. And it's all geared around one documentation to make sure things are adequately mitigated and, and risk assessed. And the other half of it is to, to be able to check those documentations, make sure things are being done. I mean, there's ISO 9001 programs with, you know, their total quality management systems, but no one's gotten it right. So it's a, it's a very difficult question to actually identify how have you really made sure that the risk is, is adequately assessed. I don't know if there's a really right answer, but I want to have something to say about it. I want to I have something that the audience can take away. And it's really just making sure you're doing some kind of thought process. You're not just blindly doing work. You're not just going out there and turning a wrench or lifting a load. You're thinking about the job, you're thinking about the consequences and the other jobs that are going around, going on around, and then yes, documenting it. So when somebody can come up, they can say, you know, show me that you've done an adequate risk assessment. Again, no one has gotten it right. Anybody with a, you know, 15 year, no incident they're maybe they're doing everything right. Maybe they're getting lucky, but I don't think anybody's really got an answer to that. And Paige, you worked in the regulatory side of things. If you've seen anything that is the silver bullet to fix risk assessment. Uh, it's just a matter of having uh, a process and, and and working it out going forward. It, it, it can change at any time. So Yeah, and making sure those processes are, are being followed and not just, it's not just lip service. So management doesn't hand down a policy and procedure. It's something that's going to work for whatever operations, whether it's a plant, a rig, a pipeline that you're you're adequately assessing it and, and getting the guys in the field to think about what is the next step? What are the consequences? What is the unintended consequences of what I'm about to do? 
You know, I'd also have to say that it's the way you would probably measure not just the risk there in the fields, not just your incidents, but what is that measured against? What business results are that driving against? Because if you're trying to control risk adequately, what does adequately mean? If you can't measure stuff, it's not not legit. No, you're you're exactly right, Mark. And I've heard just about every company has a zero incident policy. That is their goal. They're going for zero incidents. But then when you hear management talk about, I've heard some say that, well, it's it's not really achievable. Zero is not achievable, but that's what we're going to shoot for. And if you've made that concession that it's not achievable, you're not going to hit it ever. Yeah. And I would disagree that it's not achievable. I think certain parts of our industry is probably a bigger struggle to get there, but there are parts of the industry now that I know for a fact have zero incidents because they've gotten so good at what they do. No, and I 100% agree with you, Mark, that it is an achievable goal, but if you have management saying that it's not... and. To be honest, I use this analogy a lot. I, I say that if you have one person doing the job and one supervisor, can you guarantee that one person isn't going to make a mistake and isn't going to get hurt? Most people, if it's them, it's like, yeah, I can make sure one guy doesn't. Yeah, but we're all human. So, there, you know, errors can be made. Right, right. But if you've got one supervisor watching one person, bird dogging him the whole way, yeah, most people are going to say, yeah, I can make sure he's not going to get hurt. He's not going to hurt somebody else. All right. Can you do that with two people? Can you supervise two people and make sure that it's and then it goes to three to four? At what number does your management system say that it's it's beyond our control? If you're admitting that zero is not an attainable goal, scale it back. What number can you say that zero is an attainable goal? If I have one person operating one piece of machinery and I'm supervising him the whole time, can I guarantee he's not going to get himself, somebody else in the environment hurt? Yeah, yeah, right. So there's a force multiplier there. And and so when you look at it that way from a mathematical point of view, it is attainable. It's just do you have the right budgets to have the right parts and pieces in place to make it attainable? And that, you know, that sounds bad. It sounds like I'm saying you're weighing off, you know, impacts to human life and environment against a budget. But that is a, a business concern, right? And there is there is a cost with that. So, you know, the way to balance it out, I don't know, but it can be done. I, there, there's no doubt. Yeah, so I feel I feel b- bad that we didn't really answer the question because I don't think anybody has the solution. But it's about thinking about the work that you're doing. Think about the work that your guys are doing, making sure that you're you're doing something to mitigate the risk and and understanding what the consequences could be and deciding whether or not to move forward. Because sometimes a task could be too risky, and you're just weather conditions play a big factor in that offshore. Sometimes you just have to scrap it. You know, we're not going to do that today. We're going to wait for a more hospitable climate to do this in. Right. That's a good point, Patrick. All right, let's move to the next one. Uh, Love the podcast, even though I'm not in oil and gas, but I am an EHS professional, which is what the whole rest of the world calls it, except for our industry where it's HS&E. So I always learn something new. My question is, what is the deal with the media stories around, around, around groundwater contamination? Is it legit or is it just the media using misinformation to make a dollar or two? It's just the media using misinformation. <laughs> I feel like you planted this question. You, you love going after stuff like this. <laughs> it's um so even the EPA, which is not a big supporter of oil and gas industry, has been unable to prove that we've caused one incident of groundwater contamination. Now groundwater contamination happens, and it happens in our industry, but especially around fracking, we've there's been no proof. But if you listen to the media, if you pay attention to what's going on, they would make you think that it's a horrible pollution of groundwater. You know, you think of uh, what was the movie page Gasland? Yeah, yeah. with that. Fox character. Yeah, where he turned on his faucet and flames came out. The proof is that's actually natural occurrence in parts of, of the world, um, but that was never caused by, by hydraulic fracking or the oil and gas industry. Um, and it's just sad because if you're really worried about groundwater contamination here in the U.S., you need to go look at agriculture. 
Um, there's been not not one proven case of uh, hydraulic fracking causing groundwater contamination in the U.S., but it's like 620 cases last year of agriculture causing that. So if you're concerned about groundwater contamination, don't look at our industry. We're really good at it. Look at other industries that don't have the same track record. But yeah, what's sad is the media uses that to basically drive dollars, whether it's advertising dollars or Nielsen ratings or whatever. So yeah, if you're out there and you're worried about groundwater contamination from oil and gas, you don't need to worry. Well, let me also recommend, if you've seen that Gasland movie and you really believe that, look up the documentary. It's called Frack Nation. This guy basically goes out to all these people's houses that were on Gasland and gets the real story. Yeah. Yeah. You actually uh, sent me that. It was a fascinating. Yeah. That yeah. was on Netflix. So. That was a fast, yeah. If you get a chance to watch it, it's very eye opening. I will play devil's advocate on here a little bit because there is something we talked about it off mic a little bit called methane migration. But that's naturally occurring methane in the formation when you have a bad seal between the cement and your formation. Pockets of methane can creep their way up, although it's it it's a long way. The actual formation you're digging into is thousands of feet below the water table. And that typically happens with older, poorly done cement jobs. But in in modern day, I don't I don't think methane migration is actually a huge concern. Well, so the other thing is there are is times that we've contaminated groundwater, but it's more likely to be from the surface and with a bad casing job, like a well that was cased 100 years ago, right, using cast iron. That's that's something that's legit. It's actually one of the fears I have. If you think about all the cased wells have been dug since we, the oil and gas industry started. And in the beginning, they were cased with cast iron. That's a big environmental risk because that cast iron sits there and corrodes, which then will allow stuff from the surface to get into groundwater if the uh, geology is right. But you never hear that in the news ever. It's always fracking. So, Yeah, but there's also rules in place now that you have to go back and retest those wells to make sure that, you know, that, that the cement still is doing what it's supposed to do and what have you. Yeah, that's cool. And, and especially here in Texas, the uh, Railroad Commission has a real good job of regulating that. Paige, didn't you have one of the Railroad Commissioners on your show? Oh, I did. I had uh, uh, Chairman Christy Craddock. Yeah. yeah what, what episode was that? Uh, that was number eight, I believe. If oh, y'all haven't no, listened. seven. Seven. It was number seven. If you haven't listened to Paige, so only guess initial leader, just go listen to all of them. They're all good. Here's, here's another one for you, Patrick. As an industry, it seems that risk becomes more tolerable the longer people work in the same position. How do we go about changing that behavior? Great job with the podcast. And that's from F. Smith. Yeah, actually, I really like this question. I've seen multiple demographic looks at the oil and gas industry and, and trying to identify where incidents happen. And you don't see a lot of incidents with the old timers. They've they've done their crazy stuff. They're, they're not taking these high risks. And the new ones to the industry are right behind them in, as far as incident rates being as low. They're they're gun shy. They're not really going to jump into something until they understand what the work. It's that middle, which is a huge portion of the of the oil and gas population. That that middle level that's been there for five to fifteen years. They think they know everything there is to know about their specific job, and that's where the risks happen. So why why does that happen? Is it is it that they're in the job for too long? That they're just doing the same thing day in day out and one phrase that has become somewhat popular is normally normalization of deviation. So you have rules set in place and you're not going to break those rules and you start to push the envelope. You get away with something here and there. And when I say get away with, I mean, get away with from your management will let you slide by on it, but also it doesn't bite you. You don't get hurt. You don't have a spill. You don't have anything go wrong. Over time, you start to normalize that action so now it becomes part of the policy and procedure, although unofficially. 
eventually things start to catch up with you. You you do enough of those things that are normalized deviations and one or two are going to bite you. So it's a, it's a combination of people staying in a job too long or in a position too long. Becoming complacent. Becoming complacent because they started doing things that weren't quite right, but again, never, never had any kind of consequences for it. But I mean, you talk about the Swiss cheese effect. You keep lining up holes. Eventually, something's going to get through. So I think it is a, it's a normalization and a deviation. So when you start doing things that you know you're not supposed to, eventually you forget you're not supposed to do them. And over time, one of those things is going to come back to bite you, whether it's, whether it's a spill, whether it's, it's an injury, anything like that. You, you always go out, you look up, you make sure there's no crane load above you. Eventually, you stop looking up. You just go about your business until one day there's a crane load that... Now something else has gone wrong. Now you're under the load. So things, again, the Swiss, Swiss cheese holes line up. Things compound on each other. So it is a factor of time, but it's more of the being okay with doing things outside of the normal operation. So how do we change that behavior? I think that comes from, and the hardest thing is that peer-to-peer. Being able to call somebody out and say, time out, we're not supposed to be doing this right. And it's, it's the, the new guys, the fresh eyes to the, when they're reading a, a procedure, and you're violating it even in a, in a small way, then being able to question you on it, it I think goes, goes a long way. Now, you also need management to be more strict. That somebody doesn't, every time somebody smashes their hand, I don't believe it's the first time they weren't wearing their impact-resistant gloves and put their hand in that spot. It probably happened once or twice before, maybe every day it happens. That probably means management at some point knew about it and never reprimanded, never corrected course. So having management keep a tighter reins on following procedures and safety policies, it's, it's the other side of the coin. So you have peer-to-peer and you have management oversight. I think those two things, we talk about driving culture and what does that mean? I think those two things are the two largest things you can change and impact to get out of that, get out of that normalization and deviation, get people to do the right things, even if they've been doing things wrong forever showing them that we're going to we're going to take responsibility, we're going to take a little bit longer, we're going to do what's right. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? So I recently was touring one of the big manufacturers here in Houston, it was touring their manufacturing facilities. And they have the yellow lines played in the warehouse, right? As long as you're in between the yellow lines, um you're you're okay. Um if you're outside the yellow lines, a certain member of a certain level of PPE you have to have on. The, now I'm with the president of North America Operations. You know, he's giving me a tour of their facility. The forklift driver stops and he points at my shoes, got dress shoes on. He goes, you need to have steel toes between the yellow lines. It's minimal. Think about that. How cool is that? I was with the president of the company and the forklift operator stopped. And that goes right back to the whole peer-to-peer. So we went back in and they make these steel covers for dress shoes that they had on site and I put them on. I was fine. <laughs> but the forklift driver did that. That's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Well, and I, I think it's a great example, but I think those frontline guys feel more comfortable when it's the CEO versus when it's their direct supervisor or their oh. boss's boss. You get closer to them in a supervisory role. If it's a CEO or one of your VPs, I, f- I think our industry, because we reward people for taking timeouts, they want to stop the CEO. They want to stop a guest. They want to be able to be the one that raised their hand and said something. But it, when, when it gets closer to somebody that they work with on a daily basis, I think that's where it becomes a more awkward or difficult conversation. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying that's, that's, that's you know, written in stone and that's the way it is, but I, I see that happen more. Yeah, I will tell you this much, F. Smith, and not just in oil and gas industry, but in every place where there's humans involved, change of behavior is always always one of the most difficult things to do. Well, I and this is a funny one because I look at um, college and NFL football. There's an out-of-bounds line 
nobody that's not in play should be on the line, but coaches get out a little further. And they're allowed to. They're, the referees don't, don't push them back to where if they get too far out on the field, they'll get a penalty. Now there's a guy that grabs them by the hips while they're out on the field to make sure they don't go too far. <laughs> so you, you used to have a set line. That was a line of demarcation you could not cross. Well, we'll let you cross a little bit. Now there's a guy that all right, when things get heated, you make sure coach doesn't run out there and you know get thrown out of the game. I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's go to the next one. This is actually a good question too. Great show, guys. Many of our HSE practitioners say that if an incident happens once, it becomes reasonably foreca- foreseeable that it will happen again. Do you think that is true or can an incident ever be considered a one-time only bizarre event? Our industry likes to say there are no accidents. Everything is predictable. And I tend to agree that you can reasonably predict with the number of inputs you're putting in there that there's something is going to come out of it. Now, it, it then it turns into a, a probability of statistics game that if you do enough things right and wrong, you'll get the get the right things out. When you start, let's let's assume an incident happens. Now you actually can do an investigation and come down to the root cause. Sometimes the root cause is out of your control. So yes, every incident is caused by some human human error, but if you're the equipment manufacturer, but the failure was actually a metallurgical problem with a nut or bolt that caused a piece of equipment to fail that you're doing regular maintenance on, and you trusted the manufacturer to send you the right equipment, it's controllable because somebody did something wrong up the chain, but it's outside of your direct control. So... Yes, you can have these one-off things, these lightning strikes. That, That's exactly what I was thinking of, lightning. Yeah, that could not be predicted. But we actually, Mark and I had somebody on the podcast that does electrical. That actually <laughs> predicts lightning strikes and mitigates and, and it. And prevents it. So even saying lightning strike in, in today's modern technology maybe isn't exactly accurate. But I always use the reference of lightning strikes something you maybe you couldn't have predicted. Maybe you should have set, shut down. But things do happen outside of your control. Now, I can't say they're outside of human error because somebody along the chain could have done something it's so if a root cause identifies something that you it's out of your control it's rarely one thing happen it's it's usually a chain or a a hose burst a hose had to burst because there was fluid in the line there was pressure and somebody you know multiple things had to happen at the same time for that hose to burst well if you can go back identify the things that you can control and hopefully identify that for future events, you should have a, you know, a reasonable ability to stop things. All right, let's, let's say a, a, a bolt fails, a load drops. That's not going to do anything but damage equipment as long as you don't have anybody under it. So keeping everybody out from under loads, you're never going to kill anybody if there's something outside of your control. If lightning strikes the crane for whatever reason, if a bolt fails because the manufacturer sent it to you with the wrong certs and it was put in, in service incorrectly. So... It's about identifying the things you can control within your operation and doing your due diligence on the on the top end up the chain to make sure that everything is coming to you with a proper certs, a proper proper verification. So there are lightning strikes, but let's see what we can do to identify those and prevent them from happening. Yeah, and one of the things I'll comment here is somebody whose company does a bunch of statistical analysis on data. Um, when you're talking about a one-time only bizarre event, it depends on your data points. In this case, your your the way you're measuring time. If you're measuring time, say over a year or monthly or quarterly, you could actually have one-time only events. What happens if you take that same data and look at it over 10 years or 100 years or 500 years? All of a sudden, that one bizarre event could be repeatable, right? So it just depends on your data points. Anyway, let's move on. That was from L. Garrison. If I didn't mention the person's name. 
Are methane emissions from oil and gas industry operations something I should be worried about? I've seen a lot of stories and news about the EPA being involved with this, and I'd like to know the reality of the situation. Awesome podcast, and I want a Red Wing bag. Everybody wants a Red Wing bag. <laughs> and this is from C. Miller. So, no, you don't need to be worried about it. And I tell you, at least from our industry, what this is about. Methane is a huge component of natural gas. So the natural gas companies spend money to get natural gas out of the ground and sell it on the market. It is in their own best interest not to let that product, which is natural gas, vent to the atmosphere. Because if it vents to the atmosphere, they lose money. So the EPA was getting involved with this from a federal level. Um, right now, the methane emissions are regulated at a state level, which I actually think is a better idea, better use of our taxpayers' money. We didn't need another layer of regulation from the federal government to come into our industry and try to regulate something that industry regulates itself because it costs us money. So it's just a perfect example of politicians getting involved in something that they don't understand how the business is run. So, so to go further, Mark, what about what about strict oil plays where natural gas is viewed as a undesirable byproduct? Yeah, so so that's called flaring, right, where, where people just burn off natural gas. That is, unfortunately for us in, in Europe, it's on a decline. And it's on the decline. There's been legislation around it, but it's on the decline because operators have figured out that it's not to their best interest to flare gas. Unfortunately, Patrick, and you know this, other parts of the world, they flare gas left and right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that eventually, hopefully, will go away because eventually they will be able to start capturing that gas and actually bringing it to market. And a lot of it has to do with the government that those wells operate in. Do they set up the right incentives so that the operators are incident to capture gas and put it in the market, right, such as taxing at the wellhead? If you tax at the wellhead, the operators paying for tax on that gas, no matter what they do with it, whether they flare it or they put it in the market. Well, if you're paying taxes on it at the wellhead, you're better off putting it in the market. Even though you may not even break even, you're you're reducing the amount of money that you're spending. So that's that's a prime example of regulations coming into place that helps prevent that type of stuff. And we just lost 20% of our listening audience because Mark is <laughs> promoting the taxing. <laughs> yeah, and that was some C. Miller. That was a good question. So like I said earlier, if you would like your questions answered, please make sure they're HSNE somewhat specific. Um, just uh, go to the website, oilandgashse.com. I'm sorry, Patrick, oilandgashse.com. There you go. Uh, and, and click on ask a question. Um, now it's time for a Red Wing tip of the week. And I think, Paige, you're going to do this, aren't you? I'm going to try. It's not, I wouldn't really even call it a tip, but you guys often talk about safety in the field. Well, I, when I worked at uh, doing regulatory, I didn't work in the field. I worked in the office. And I think it's really important that everybody in the office also knows that there are procedures in place when an incident does happen in the office. And we had an incident one time and I had a coworker that had gone upstairs to our, our lunchroom to eat up her food to bring it back down to her desk. Well, she came down the stairs and took quite the tumble down a couple flights actually. And I was the only one that knew what to do. I called HR because our safety people were at lunch, called them, said, I've sent an email to both of you, she's okay. And it's it's really that simple, just knowing who to contact when something happens, because those things have to be reported. Yeah, that's a damn good point, because you're, you're right. we're always talking about out in the field. It doesn't matter if you're out in the field, if you're in the office, if you're at home, there should be a process in place. And if you work for a company during work hours and you don't follow that process, now you're opening up both person and the company to even more liability. So a good point, Paige. Always always understand what that process is. Who do you need to reach out to first? Exactly. Oh, you got you to gotta go to your health and safety guys. Oh, and, and yeah, I, I was in an office that changed the outgoing call code. I it started with one and then changed, an, or no, it started with nine and then changed to zero because people were accidentally dialing 911. So they decided to change it. 
Shortly thereafter, someone had a heart attack in the office, and the first try didn't didn't immediately get out because the initial thought it's nine. It's always been nine. I'm gonna dial nine, but when the real emergency happened, it would, you know, it changed it to zero or one. So right. knowing your procedures, knowing how to call nine one one in your situation, where all your first aid stuff, your AEDs, is, your first aid exactly. kits, all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome tip. Um, now we need to talk about our Red Wing bag, which we talked about earlier. Uh, Patrick, who's today's bag winner? This week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag is Mary Bruns. Mary's a production engineer at Thompson. Congratulations, Mary. If you'd like to win your own awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag, it's really simple. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. It's the official site for rules and details. You throw your information in there and we pull one lucky winner a week. It's going to be Devin Energy again. <laughs> we had Devin Energy <laughs> twice in a row that we know of, maybe more. Yeah. Good for Devin. Good yeah. for listening out there. Hey, yeah, if you're out there at Devin, honestly, we appreciate you listening. Reach out to Patrick and I. We would love to get your H- one of your HSE guys on our show. Yeah, for or sure. Or if an executive wants to come on to my show, I'm come on with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so if one of your senior leaders at Devin like to go on oil and gas industry leaders and actually have some appetizers and drinks at Capitol Grill with Paige and talk about your how you got to where you are in your journey. It's a great show. She has a great time. Uh, yeah, reach out to her as well. Patrick. Yes. We did not get new reviews. No. No. That, the report came in Monday. We didn't get any. We need to make that a requirement to sign up the Red Wing bag. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't actually do that. But you know what we might want to do? We might want to start a contest where we start giving away something. We take everybody that leaves a review, throw them in a pot, and we pull one name a month. We'll give away something cool. Yeah. So if you'd like to win something cool that we don't know what it is yet, uh, please, please, please do Patrick and I a favor. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. It takes three minutes. Um, it helps you help your peers find the show, and it helps us you know, grow an audience. So take the five minutes, three minutes it takes to do it. And Patrick, didn't we finally figure out you actually can do it from your iPhone? You can leave a review from your iPhone, whether or not they changed something or I just found it a few, <laughs> a few weeks ago. But it's, it's a little difficult. You can find it in your iPhone. Leave a review directly from yeah. the app. Yeah, so uh, we talked about the website, oilandgashse.com. <laughs> um, it's where we will announce things first. Um, so go sign up. Give us your email address. We never spam anybody. We're in discussions about doing our live event. Uh, it probably won't be till the end of this year, if not 2018, but that's what we'll find out first. If you want to know who will find out about second, go join our LinkedIn group, oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. Um, that's where we announce everything second. And then, Paige and Patrick, we're changing what OGGN website's doing. So... Pretty soon, we're going to have a new website up. It's going to be an online magazine format. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow our listeners for this show and our, all the other shows to submit a preferably video short content. So if you want to promote your company in a way that's non-salesy, if you want to explain what you do, if you want to talk about your products or solutions, um, reach out to me. I'll share the details. And we're going to take these videos and let you put them on our website so you get exposed to our audience. And we're going to charge you zilch, zero, nothing, right? So only for our listeners, only for your companies and, and you know, um, but reach out to me. I'd be happy to share details. And then real quick, we need to talk about on-road sponsors. Big shout out to Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system. Uh, they uh, allow us to do all these shows and expos to go to. And they're literally the Landman's virtual office. And Lee Heck Harrison, they're experts in global talent management. Over three quarters of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies use these guys. They're great. And if you're looking at leadership and workforce issues, reach out to them. And then if you'd like Patrick and I to come talk to a trade association, your company event, conference or school, your HSC meetings, whatever, reach out to us. We'd be happy to do so. And then that, I think, about wraps it up. Events, events. We've got Summer Nape coming up in August. And I'm pulling up the... 16th and 17th, August maybe? 16th and 17th? I'm guessing. Yeah. It's there somewhere. somewhere. 
And what's sad is we should know that because it's one of our favorite shows. <laughs> but we'll be at Summer Nape, whatever the dates are. Uh, we're also looking at Lago and Lafayette. Yeah, that's in October. In October. And we got a whole bunch more for the rest of the year. Oh, um, and also, I don't know if you guys know this, but our LinkedIn group is up to almost 1,800 members. Oh, that's awesome, Paige. Yeah. 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 And that's the reason I say it's awesome, Paige, is because not a single blog post not a single person gets approved without going by the page machine. So we have a real person. She approves all of that stuff, which means we are spam fee free group. Unlike a lot of the other groups on, Link, on LinkedIn. That's right. Well, yeah. sorry, one other event we're going to be at is the IDC's well Control conference of the Americas down in Galveston, August 29th to the 30th. Yeah. well Control. We're going to have fun there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of well Control, a big shout out to um, Michael Fry and his gang. We were actually recording from their offices in Katy. They were nice enough to let us use their conference room because we needed a place to, to go do the podcast. Yeah, yeah, this is a nice place to do them. There's going to be some video following. Yeah. All right, so are we finished? Ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai 